This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. So now Posey ranges away, and Ballinger throws it so high. There are some intangibles that those projections failed to take into consideration. The crowd was going crazy. There's not much in life that's better than that. You're listening to Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys on the 95.7 The Game Podcast Network. Hello there. Welcome back to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Loveman here with Joe, the Butcher Boy Shasky for episode 57. Shasky, uh, it's 57, the 1957 Giants. We're not a very good team, but they did get a pretty good season out of Willie Mays. 38 home runs, 35 stolen bases, hit 333. And after all that, New York was like, yeah, get out of here. Head to San Francisco, which is totally what happened. It definitely wasn't the other way around. Uh, but yeah, here we are. Uh, Coming out of the uh, Minnesota Twins series, 57 is also, I think, the uh, number of uh, F-bombs that we dropped back in December after we found out that Carlos Correa was not going to be a giant. And the Giants got their first look at Correa up close since then. And uh, why don't we start there, Shasky, as the Giants take two or three against the Twins. We got to see Carlos Correa, and he didn't didn't really do much. And uh, he might be going on the IL uh, as soon as tomorrow. So I guess... To start things off, is it fair to say the Giants maybe dodged a bullet with not signing Carlos Correa? Uh, you know, I, I want to go back to 57 because now I'm thinking <laughs> about great 57s. I'll get to Correa in a second. All I'm right. looking at all the Giants who have worn 57. You can't think of one Giant who wore 57. Really? <sighs> Well, in fairness, I didn't really look up any Giants for 57. I, I try to find different numbers for our, our episode numbers instead of just jersey numbers. Uh, 57. Let me I'll give you a couple. Head. Let me Why, give you a couple. I want to see if I can guess one. For some reason, Jack Tashner is popping in my head. I don't see Tashner head. on here. I don't oh. see Tashner on here. That would be really who's... cool, though, if he was. Like, just get that one out of nowhere. I love that. No. <laughs> okay. Rich Aurelia wore 57 in 95. Felipe wow. Crespo. Jerome Williams. Puka Shells. Remember him? I do remember Jerome Williams. Eugenio Velez. Ryan Rollinger. And then it was donned by my guy, Johnny Sanchez. Chad Godin. Juan Gutierrez. Matt Reynolds. And then here's a couple more recent ones. Derek Rodriguez and Alex Wood. It's actually a number that's been worn a few times. Some pretty solid pitchers on that last on that list, too. Uh, Jerome Williams, Jonathan Sanchez, Chad Godin. Uh, you said Alex Wood was on there. Derek too. Rodriguez, remember him? D-Rod. Yeah, D-Rod. He was the, the best part of the 2018 season for a minute. <laughs> uh, we all thought, hey, we might have something new here with, with Pudge's kid, but... Uh, I think he's he's pitching in a different country now. So um, it's funny that you mentioned Ryan Rollinger. He came up, I think, around 2008. And this yeah. year, the Giants were celebrating their 50th anniversary. 
And uh, all around the promenade level, they had uh, mural murals of all these great giants from their 50 years uh, playing in San Francisco. And I don't understand why, but for some reason, they included Ryan Rollinger in the, in those murals along the third base line. It's just like, it, come on, you've had plenty of good third basemen like Matt Williams, I think Jim Davenport, among others. How is Ryan Rollinger on the mural of of great Giants players from the 50 years here? That that whenever you say Ryan Rollinger, that's that's the first name that really? comes to mind. That's the first thing for somebody yeah. that comes to mind. Yeah. Not I, what I'm thinking. Carlos yeah. Correa. Look, a couple of weeks, a couple of months on a multi-year deal doesn't make or break a deal, right? No matter mm-hmm. what the deal is. Now you know, we can argue till we're blue in the face about whether 13 years is too much for any guy, which was part of my argument regarding Carlos Correa during the winter when there was all of the, you know, should he sign? Is he going to sign? My bigger issue was the way it went down, like the mm-hmm. way it went down where it felt like he was in another room. You're about to announce it and then you don't announce it and then the whole thing falls apart and obviously the giants and the mets have zero buyer's remorse right now whatsoever like they're so happy that they didn't go into business with carlos correa but i still think he's going to be a good player for them uh and what is a six-year deal that he signed with minnesota six-year deal he said something very weird this week saying like you know maybe i don't want to play baseball six years from now and maybe i want to be a dad and i think people say things to just justify whatever their current uh situation is so i wouldn't take that too serious but i mean doesn't it feel a lot better to not have the the financial cementing of a six to ten year contract on this team right now like it feels very liberating that they've got all these young players and a bunch of one and two year deals, three years for Hanniger, but one mm-hmm. and two year deals across the board. So you just aren't hamstrung by any big time horrific deals down the line. So it's not so much the Carlos Correa thing, it's just the Giants as a whole. I mean, maybe Farhan did set them up okay. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, again, the, the arrival of Casey Schmidt and the breakout of JD Davis, I think, makes it a lot easier to stomach not having yes. Carlos Correa on the roster. If I think if Schmidt's still in the minor leagues, if JD Davis is struggling, uh, plus Carlos Correa playing well, then you have a completely different story. But that 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 marriage always felt kind of almost like an arranged marriage, really, when when the that Giants deal went Korea. down. The Giants and Correa, yeah. It always felt like I don't want to say it was a fit. I definitely think there was a fit. But it just it felt like it was almost like the Giants couldn't get judged. So let's let's kind of force this Carlos Correa deal to happen. And I remember when the deal happened, you know, we had a week where we're talking about it. And it was just like we're trying to wrap our heads around the 13 year deal, which was going to be by far the longest deal the Giants had ever given to a player. And for me, listen, I'm always down to spend other people's money, especially when it's a billionaire's money. The, the 350 million didn't really bother me that much. The years, though, it was going to the years were weird. 13 years is a long time to commit to a player. And I think you're actually a middle infielder. Exactly. And I do agree with you. It's not so much what happened as it is how it happened. And I just remember it was it was a bizarre 24 hours right up from uh, when I announced it on the morning roast that morning, which. Amazingly enough, that was the first time I'd ever broken news on this station, by the way, was announcing that the, uh, <laughs> the, the the press conference was canceled. The email that was sent, it was a very just just a blank email with just, you know, today's press conference has been canceled. There was no letterhead, no anything. It looked like it just been, you know, the only thing that was missing was the text sent from my iPhone. And throughout the day, you're thinking, what's going on? I remember your first thought was it's been going around. 
you know, like we thought it was like COVID or someone got sick. Yes. And then it just, I remember waking up the next morning and, and opening up Instagram and seeing the 95 seven post Carlos Correa to the Mets. And my first thought was, I'm going to have to get Whitley Sandretto, our, our wonderful social media manager. I'm have to get her on the phone and really lay into her for this really sick prank that she's pulling on people. I, I refuse to believe that that's what happened. Then, of course, soon after I did find out. And so, yeah, the, the process was very frustrating. It was very angering. Now, though, looking back in hindsight, I do think that a part of me still thinks that six years, $200 million was doable for the Giants. Agreed. But you know what? I'm I'm cool with where the Giants are at right now in terms of just kind of settling in on Casey Schmidt and, and rolling with J.D. Davis. Hey, look, you know what? If I have to catch an L on this one, I will. But all these free agents, it feels like, have been kind of stumbling out the blocks. And again, it's we're talking about a percentage of the overall body of work for these deals. But Aaron Judge has been hurt already early on in the season. Been okay. Trey Turner's been bad by his own standards and admitted it. He's been booed by the Philadelphia crowd. Xander Bogarts has not been good. You know, I didn't like that deal, particularly for him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Garrett Cole, who's pitching now well for the New York Yankees. I mean, I think if they would have said four years ago that you'd get this Garrett Cole today, they'd say, yeah, we wish we would have had it for the three years prior. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I think these big-time deals are actually being looked at right now the rumor that I've been hearing is that baseball is going to put in kind of language the way that the NBA did to maximize contracts, meaning six, seven year max caps, if you will, on some of these deals to help owners protect themselves. It's like a safety yeah. belt because, you know, you got guys like Cohen who's locked in with his team. His team's going to look horrible in five years. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the theory is if you spend all this money and you get that world series, are you willing to kind of stomach those bad years? And I think it's, it's very easy to say in the moment. Yeah, sure. I'll gladly accept five years of, of uh, competing for a championship, winning one or two titles, and then dealing with five years of just pulling my hair out, watching this team. It's very easy to say that now, but then when the moment comes, yes. you're like, what were we doing? Um, going from Think one about the Giants 2017, 2018, 2019. Mm -hmm. I mean, we felt these labor pains. I think exactly. part of the frustration of Giants fans was that we did have to just kind of bite the bullet and just take it. Yeah, and that's just kind of like a lot of teams try to avoid doing that. It's it's hard to yeah. do. Um, some teams are better equipped for it. Some teams are not. And yeah, it's just the, the nature of the game. You have to deal with those lean times. But when you set yourself up for a really bad situation down the line, it's one of the things that just either got to commit to it like the Mets are doing or do what the Giants are doing and find alternate ways. Now, yeah. uh, going from one shortstop to another shortstop, Chasky, we have to have some difficult conversations about Brandon Crawford here because what's the difficult not, part? Well, I think the question is, should he still be in the starting lineup? And I think it's at the point where you look at how J.D. Davis is playing at third base. You look at how Casey Schmidt is playing at shortstop. Tyro Estrada is really establishing himself as a defensive, not a defensive force, but he's playing plus defense Agreed. at second base. Lamont Wade Jr. has become a very solid uh, defensive first baseman. You're infield right now. Not only do you have four guys who are hitting the ball pretty well, you have four guys who are playing very good defense right now. And uh, we had Dave Fleming on uh, yesterday. He kind of spoke about it a little bit. I'll play that cut in a little bit. But it's to the point where it's like defensively, Brandon Crawford is not your best option on the left side of the infield. And this is a guy who 
a main reason he's been in the lineup throughout most of his career is the glove is good enough to where you'll deal with whatever shortcomings the bat has. Now you got the bat, the the offensive shortcomings and the defense. It's just you you see it at times where like he still has it, but then there's days like yesterday where just simple plays are just eating him up. I mean, he's old. Yeah. <laughs> this is the end of his career, you know. It's kind of sad. Like to me, I'm more empathetic, and I think it's kind of sad. Should he be a starter every day? I don't think he is a starter every day. I think they do a pretty good job, kind of subbing him in and out, and I think they've found creative ways to say he's hurt. And mm-hmm. sitting in the dugout. And I think they're going to do the same thing moving forward. I think out of respect to him, they're not going to full out come out and say he's no longer a quote unquote starter. It will just be obvious based on the lineups that they're putting out there every single day. And then what they end up doing with his injury status. I mean, Sam, like he doesn't look like he's in shape. He no. does look a step slower. I don't think he has a secondary position. Like there, there's a lot of issues here going on all at once. And then the other part is, if you'd want to win games, which we can argue about that, you know, we can still argue mm-hmm. about that. But if you want to win games, I don't think he's your best option. Like no. that's the sad, hard, cold truth. Yeah. And listen, this does not take away from anything that Brandon Crawford has done in his career. Oh, bro, you guys are on, earlier on the show. We're, we're kind of talking about, you know, on the morning roast this morning. Uh, it is, you know, Thursday, May 25th is when we're recording this podcast. Uh, you were kind of talking about like, where does Brandon Crawford rank among your all time giants, at least in your lifetime. Is he a mm-hmm. top 10? I was thinking about, I don't know off the top of my head if I would put him in my top 10, maybe. But I will say this. I feel pretty confident saying that the best shortstop in the 160-year history of the Giants might be Brandon Crawford overall in terms of just maybe not what the stat sheet says, but just in terms of the overall impact he had on the franchise, the level of play that he kind of brought every day. And then again, you're a centerpiece of two championship teams. And all coming from a guy who grew up as a Giants fan. Like few Giants players have better stories than Brandon Crawford. Few Giants players have been as impactful on this organization's in their history as Brandon Crawford. Mm-hmm. No Giant has played as many games at shortstop as Brandon Crawford. That's actually a quantifiable fact. Like Brandon Crawford and the most gold gloves. Most gold gloves. He is absolutely one of the the pinnacle players of this organization. I don't think you could tell this organization's history without Brandon Crawford. No and his I- legacy is absolutely secured. And it, yeah, it is it is a bummer that we kind of have to watch him end his career like this when ironically his defense is declining at a time when the rest of the Giants defense is getting a lot better. That it, very ironic there. Uh, you know, but I think there's a lot of wisdom that he can bestow along a lot of these younger impressionable players who are looking up to him. I mean, he look this guy lived the dream, Brandon Crawford. Mm-hmm. Grew up a Giants fan and became shortstop of his home team and helped usher in two World Series rings. He wasn't a part of that 2010 team. Um, I mean, in terms of like greatest defensive shortstops in Giants history for individual seasons, Omar Vizquel throws his name into the ring. And, mm-hmm. and Richie wasn't the defender that either of those two guys were, but I'd be remiss without mentioning Rich Aurelia or Jose Uribe, not Juan Uribe, Jose Uribe. Obviously, Renneria hit one of the biggest home runs as a shortstop in Giants history. Um, there are a, never a good defensive shortstop. He was kind of a little bit who? before my Royce Clayton. Royce Clayton was actually a, yeah. a good defensive. I think yeah. his best years were in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, if we're being honest, but I loved Royce Clayton. He was a very yeah. good uh, defensive shortstop, but like, again, it's not a long list and look at his body mm-hmm. of work. And then when you win at the highest level as a team and you're a key factor, come on, man, y- your legacy is cemented. He's a legend. And I do think, we're going to look back at his career more fondly than we appreciated it in real time.
I think there's going to be a generation of younger players, of younger fans, excuse me, who are going to remember him the way I remember Matt Williams and Robbie Thompson lovingly. Absolutely. Honestly, I think anyone who's going to be on those teams, and again, without getting too controversial, I think Brandon Belt will be in there as well. I think his career with the Giants will age better as we kind of get further and further away with it because that's just how it always is. But again, I'm not trying to get into a Brandon Belt conversation, but no, it's it's tough right now watching Crawford. I you do had think to go Belt. I know. You, 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 had you know me. I'm, Why do I'm, you do this? Because I, I was a very avid fighter in the Belt Wars and I will fight for Brandon Belt's honor. That guess is what, what the Empire struck back. All right, no one misses him. <laughs> But um, it's it. I will miss Brandon Crawford when he is gone. It probably will be next year. I would not. I I'm not going to speculate on what he's going to do with his career. But I do feel like this. We are at the end of of Brandon Crawford's time with the Giants after this season. And I think he likes traveling. I think he likes being in the Bay Area uh, and on the road. I don't know if he's going to be a homebody. Let's just put it that way. That's my sense. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. You are listening to the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. Sam Lubman and Joe Shassi coming at you every week with all the best Giants content out there. Make sure you're liking, reviewing, subscribing to this podcast. Share it with your friends so we can really boost those numbers out. And again, if you're looking for great Giants content, this is where you got to be listening to. So... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We had Dave Fleming on the morning roast yesterday on Wednesday. And uh, I want to play a clip here that he kind of talked about where basically kind of talked about the Giants plan being back on. And I kind of want to get into just kind of with the Giants playing well right now, with the farm system starting to show some sort of, well, you know what, let's hear what Dave had to say and then we'll get into it. Because the Giants, this whole thing, all the angst from Giants fans these last few years, I think has stemmed from one decision. And that is when Farhan was hired, Farhan decided we're not tanking. We're not doing it. We're going to try to compete while we build up our farm system. And, but there's two parts to that. They didn't tank, and then we got 2021 out of it, which was an amazing, joyful season. Mm. But then the other part of the plan last year really went off the rails. Yeah. And it's, it's back on now. And that's, this has been the plan all along, which is to try to compete while you might have to you know, mix and match and use some patchwork stuff with some shorter term free agents. But, you know, while we build that farm system and the Giants have been heavily criticized for that, to me, unfairly, because that's the way you do it. If you're going to do both at the same time, you're going to have to use aspects of both. 
There you go, Shasky. The plan is back on. Would you say that the Giants' plan is kind of getting back on track based on kind of what we've been seeing so far this season from the Giants? You ever watch any of these Viking shows when they're they're out at sea and they're they're in one of their you know Viking serpent boats and they're going to go try to invade a foreign territory and all of a sudden like the gods opened up the skies and <laughs> pushed them left and right and you know it feels like they're on the brink. That's what Farhan felt like with this fan base. Like he was on the brink of not only mutiny within the boat, you know, from, yeah. from some of the people that were on that boat with them, but also from the seas, as in the fans around them, rocking that boat. And it does feel like everybody woke up and the sun is now shining on their faces. They may not know where they're going, but they survived the storm like they did. It's been one winning season since the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use that line again over and over and over yeah. again. It's true. And you look up and you're like, Patrick Bailey's showing some promise. Wow. Like there's something there. Camilo Duvall. Boy, he looks really good. Right. Really, really, mm-hmm. really, really, really good. He kind of came out of nowhere. Logan Webb. I know the numbers don't look great. He's pitched really well. Oh, he's had an incredible month of May. Absolutely. He's, he's low key leading the national league in innings pitch. That might've changed actually the last couple of days, but he's up there amongst the, the league leaders in innings pitch right now. Okay. And now Casey Schmidt, who everyone loves. And then you got Tyro Estrada, who to me looks like at minimum, you know, he'll be a five-year middle infielder for the Giants. He's already been one for one season. He's going to be one again this year. Like, this is a guy that you can play into his thirties and have under team control for relatively inexpensive. Um, yeah, I feel really optimistic, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Everything seems to be pointed arrow up for this team. And so, like those Vikings surviving the storm in their boat, they wake up, and wow, the sun's shining on your face. And wait, is that land a hoe? Like, that's what it, it feels like with all of yeah. these prospects being ready to get called up. And the minor league system it feels like has done a complete 180. And whereas everyone was looking terrible a year ago, they all look positive now. Yeah, and I think that I think it kind of goes into a slight like last year was a very frustrating year that tested the patience of a lot of Giants fans. And I think rightfully so, because it just it really was a year where nothing was going right. And when things aren't going right, it's kind of hard to see how things might kind of reverse course. I do think at the end of the day, like this is why I was really banging the table on being patient with Farhan's plan last year, because it the way he describes it, it, it's very simple. But overall, it it is a long term process. And one thing I would always say is that. I really do not think that people really appreciated or I don't know if appreciates the right word, but really just digested how down bad the Giants were at the end of the 2018 season when Farhan got here. This was a very, very bad farm system with no real contributors anywhere near close to reaching the big league level. I mean, Joey Bart was one of the top prospects when uh, Farhan got here and he had only been in the system for a year. Uh, You had a team that, had desperately tried to turn a 98-loss team into a 90-something win team by shipping out guys like Brian Reynolds and Christian Arroyo and bringing in uh, Andrew McCutcheon and Evan Longoria, respectively. Now, Arroyo's kind of bounced around a little bit since he left, uh, but he's, I think, kind of become a a capable player for the Red Sox. Brian Reynolds has become one of the better players in the National League, and I definitely think that the Giants, you know, could have used a guy like him, but... It was, it was a tough situation that Farhan worked into. It was going to take a long time to clean the muck out. And a part of me, I, I do respect the fact the Giants tried to kind of do this two-timeline thing of putting a competitive team on the field while also trying to rebuild, and while also acknowledging just how difficult it is. I remember uh, back in uh, 
February 2020, going to the season ticket event with uh, where you can meet Farhan and Gabe Kapler. And I remember talking to Farhan, just being like, you know, hey, you know, what, what kind of what's the, the future to look like for this team? And he kind of said, you know, we're very anti-tanking. We're always going to do what we can to put the most competitive team on the field. And that is how Farhan is. He wants to win. He enjoys competing. He hates losing. And we kind of also talked about you want to create a template, you know, a template where you, you have the set kind of process for how you bring guys up plug them into the team, plug them into the big league roster, and then go from there. Our, uh, our board op on the show, Joe Spadoni, he sent a really uh, a, a text the other night that kind of stuck out to me when uh, he mentioned the Dodgers seem to have a never-ending pipeline of great pitching prospects. And I kind of corrected him and said, no, they just have a never-ending pipeline of prospects, period. Because that's what the Dodgers do. They have a system, a, a template in place that just cranks out great minor leaguers. And it's why I am convinced the Dodgers will never, ever be bad again. Because they have a really good system in place. You know who helped build that system, Shasky? Farhan Zaidi. Outside of Andrew Freeman, those are the only two guys who know how to build a system like what the Dodgers have. And that is why... I really was kind of holding out on being patient with Farhan. We've seen it work in other places. We know it was going to take a little bit. Uh, it's going to take a while, maybe a longer, a little bit longer than we wanted. But now you're really starting to see, you know what? The plan, it did make sense. The supplemental players, they are contributing. Mitch Hanniger, he's coming around. Michael Conforto, looks like he could be a useful player this year. Couple that now with the actual farm system producing. And yeah, when I see Farhan walking around the ballpark these days, his head's a little bit higher right now. Look, the tide's turning. The tide is absolutely turning. I'm way more optimistic. I'm pivoting. Most Giants fans are way more open and more optimistic than they were a couple weeks ago. But Sam, the aspirations are championships. Like once you won a championship and then you won a second one and then you won a third one, that's what you're trying to become. Okay, so we do need to also have the proper perspective to understand when you become like the Cardinals, when you become the more successful at the winning of World Series in the last 30 years than the Dodgers, that's the bar, not just being competitive and seeing some yeah. youngsters. So this is a great first couple of steps. Exactly. And I think steps is the right way. I, I, I do want to acknowledge that. Like to yeah. me, like, and I know you, I want to win at the highest level. I want to win the way the Astros win. Oh, absolutely. Like, I do think that it's important to acknowledge perspective. You know, just like last year, I tried not to get too down on the process yes. when it was struggling. Yes. I'm not going to declare it a full on success just yet. Because, again, you want it. You don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too exactly. low. You want to still be kind of rational about it. Look at, I'm not yeah, looking in at the same way, in yeah. the same way that we are looking at the Carlos Correa contract and it's only a couple of months and you want to freak out. And I'm saying, caught, you know, be patient. You can say the same about Casey Schmidt. His come up right now feels like, wow, oh my God, it feels real, but it could all come crashing back down. And I exactly. hope it doesn't, but, but we, we do need to be able to think about that a little. Yeah. And the thing about Casey, Casey Schmidt's a good example here uh, because again, the way he's hitting right now, it's obviously not going to last forever. Exactly. It's not going to be a 350, a 400 hitter for his entire right. career. Awesome. If he is, I'm, I'm not going to complain if he is obviously, but, you know, a couple of things like uh, on Saturday night, Schmidt went hitless or not Saturday day against the Marlins. It was a hitless day for Casey Schmidt. I noticed they were really kind of going inside on him, low inside corner. I asked Gabe Capra after the game, is that something you're noticing? Are guys, are pitchers attacking him? They're trying to find weaknesses. Gabe kind of shot back saying, I think you're being a little too granular about that, but he's not worried about Casey Schmidt. A fair answer to what I thought was a fair question. Because, um, yeah, I was being a little bit nitpicky with Schmidt. He has yet to draw a walk. 
And uh, he's been very aggressive with uh, swinging the bat. I think he, I heard he's like swinging at 61% of his pitches, which is second in baseball. We had Gabe Kapel on the morning roast this morning. He was talking about how they want to get him to be a little bit more selective with his swing choices. So yeah. there are things that they are going to have to workshop with him. So he swung at the most, second most amount of pitches in baseball. I did not know that. Yeah, I think it was uh, Hanser Alberto, I believe, is uh, is is the other one. I was, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, the source is that of that the is. that kid from the Marlins? I, no, that's Lee's. Luis Araz, totally. Oh, he's a stud, huh? Yeah, but uh, I'll be uh, yeah. I was uh, I, I pulled that sh- stat straight from Andrew Bagley, so I want to cite my source there. I like that. But, no, I like um, that. I didn't know. But that. yeah, they're, they're, he's it's the, the the trick is going to be for Casey Schmidt. How do you? And this is something I want to ask him at some point. You know, how do you? on the one hand, maintain your aggressive nature at the plate while at the same time being more selective and hitting the right pitch. That's what the Giants are very much about. And I want to get into that in a second in terms of just their hitting approach in the next segment. But that's going to be the thing with Schmidt. And yeah, there's going to be ups and downs there. The point is, I think there's there's a level of patience you still need to exercise yes. with the Giants. But right now, you could say the patience is at least kind of, it, it's paying off a little bit. Am I looking at this team and saying they're a playoff team? No, I don't think so. I'm not saying playoffs right now. Right now I'm in, it would be cool if they make the playoffs mode. Uh, I don't think this is a team that they should be making playoff, like playoff, like trades at the no. deadline. Yeah, no, let's this is not the future. Let's just keep moving forward, positive steps. That's what I like to see. And that's how you know that the Giants plan is still working. I thought last year at the end of the year, they were a year away from being a year away. (laughs) If that makes any sense. whatsoever. Now I feel like, no, they're about a year away. Like from everything coming up and them, you know, being aggressive and start thinking about, you know, what do we have too much of in the minors that we could get rid of to to get something that maybe we don't have in full supply at the big league level or in the minor league level. I'm with you, but look, I'm super optimistic, so I hope it doesn't come off like I am not, because I truly am. No, no. I think, again, be optimistic right now. Just don't be over the moon about your optimism. And again, hopefully they can keep maintaining this this current pace that they're at right now, because this, this kind of sets up kind of like 2009. We're at the end of 2009 or even 2008. I remember when, you, when that season ended in 2008, you knew like, oh, it's, it's next year's about to be yep. legit. And at the end yep. of 2009 season – you knew that there that you felt that this team was on the precipice of something special. Agreed. I don't know. I I, I wasn't expecting World Series at the end of two thousand nine, um, mainly because it just you know, it's been so long and never happened in my lifetime. Why would you? But you felt like we were on the cusp of something special with the Giants, and the way things are progressing this season right now, they could be in a in a, in a similar position once this season comes to an end. You are listening to the uh, Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast coming at you twice a week, Sam Lubman and Joe Shasky. want to make sure you're liking this podcast, subscribing to it, sharing it, reviewing it, anything to get it out there because if you like Giants content, chances are everyone around you is going to like Giants content as well. Shasky, one th- I, I was, came across some kind of sound bites uh, over the last week in turn that I think really kind of speak to how the giants operate as a baseball team philosophically. Now, the okay. first thing I want to get into is uh, last week on the podcast, we were talking about Alex Wood and his pitch count yeah, and just kind of how they come about, you know, determining their pitch counts and what the players think of it. So last Friday night, I asked the question that we discussed in this podcast, how do you 
uh, come up with pitch counts? Ask Gabe Kapler that, and this was his answer. Great question, and and usually it goes back to the last outing or the last several outings. So you'll progress a guy in spring training, maybe he throws a live BP with two ups, and then his first spring training outing he might throw two innings with like a 35 pitch max. The next time out he might throw two innings, but you bump his pitch count to like 40, 45 pitches. Then maybe he goes to three and 55 or three and 60, depending on like the club's appetite for how many pitches he can throw there. It's usually based on adding a few pitches from the last outing, but not dramatically exceeding that pitch count. So that one thing that we know about injuries in baseball is the best way to prevent them is with a long, slow ramp. So little bits over the course of time rather than all at once. So that's basically how we determine a pitcher's pitch count is what did he throw the last time out? So they have a very methodical process here. Very kind of they, they really draw it out. They like to, the, the slow ramp up here. Shasky, when you hear kind of Kapler talking about, you know, how they how they I guess, how does that answer your question? You asked this question last week. I presented it to Kapler. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on his answer there. It's an interesting point. Um, I do think it misses some details like. We didn't talk about like what are they doing in between bullpen sessions? Yeah. You know, my you thought know, is that they, you have kind of like set throws in between each inning and 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 right? bullpen sessions too. So I I, I illuminated I, your eyes to this, didn't I? Yeah, it's something I, I'm gonna have to start paying attention to now. And it was, look, it was look, a question look, that Gabe Kapler enjoyed too. I got a good question uh, to start well, like, off. I would I would want to ask him like, what does an off day throwing look like for a starting pitcher? I don't know the answer to that, and I'm sure it's uh varies player to player team to team like I, yeah. I position like as in starter to reliever like but what does an off seat uh, an off day throw session look like is there one at all um are they doing you know cable pulls are they doing you know uh band workouts things like that does that factor in to some of the muscle strain stuff like i, I don't know i just i want to more i want to know more information but I find them, again, at times, I think they're a little too analytical. But at other times, if they're on to something smart, I'm willing to open my eyes to, to hearing it out, right? Yeah. And I think their thought process behind pitch counting is important because I look at someone like Carlos Rodon, and clearly they managed him brilliantly. Mm -hmm. And the second the Yankees got a hold of him, he got hurt. He's falling apart, yeah. Interesting, it, isn't that? Yeah, and the Giants have been very careful with their pitchers. They got a very good reputation of of taking good care of their pitchers. They also have a very good reputation of communicating with their players. And so Alex Wood took them out the next day, that Saturday. It was a, the one nothing loss to the Marlins. And again, he went four and two-thirds innings before coming out. Uh, again, I think he had 74 pitches that day. And this is what Alex had to say about his uh, his pitch count and how long he was able to pitch uh, after the Yeah, game. you can say that. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, just it's hard because you feel like you don't get to pitch anymore. You know, it's like throw, throw five perfect or get, get yanked in the fifth. You know, it's, 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 it's frustrating. You know, 74 pitches, my second start back. I feel like I've thrown the ball pretty, pretty well. You know, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very frustrating for sure. So I think this kind of goes into that human element that you were kind of talking about last week, Shasky, where, again, the logic that, the, the, that, that Kapler uses in determining the pitch counts makes sense. But then with Alex Wood, though, it, it feels like something is a little bit maybe off there in terms of the communication. I don't know. Like Wood clearly does not sound like he's thrilled with the lack of usage. Is it a case where, you know, maybe the Giants should just be letting Alex Wood throw a little bit more, go for those five innings, try and see if he can get that pitch count closer to 100? Should Alex Wood get a little bit more run here? Or is he just kind of maybe not seeing the force through the trees a little bit? Um, 
I can see both ends of the spectrum. He's also an older player, so he probably comes from a, a generation that tilts more the old school, which would I'd say more art and science. Does that make sense? Yeah, more, more uh, art and, I and science than, a, than math and physics. Exactly. You also have to account for this, and, and it's something I, I'm re-remembering now that I'm dealing with certain pitching coaches in my little league days. Pitchers are weird. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're an odd bunch. Like some are very weird, some are very dumb, some are super geniuses. But pitchers tend to be the weirdest guys on the team. So I'm not surprised that they have a variety of reactions to a variety of outcomes when it comes to pitch counts. Yeah. Now you mentioned kind of more art and sciences first, math, math and physics. I'm going to throw some math and physics uh, at you here. And that is just kind of what the hard data, what on what Alex Wood, uh, what the hard data about Alex Wood says. And the hard data is that, you know, when he hits that 50 pitch thres- threshold, mm-hmm. hitters over his career hit a little bit better against him. You know, he's sitting, he, he holds hit, uh, hitters to about a uh, 230. Uh, batting average when he's first going through the lineup. But then when he kind of gets in that 50 pitch threshold, jumps up to 256. When he gets to pitch 76 and up, mm-hmm. hitters are hitting 261 against him. The more he throws, it quickly starts to escalate up. That's going to be a lot of pitchers, though. But, you know, the the strikeouts start to drop a little bit. The walks start to go up a little bit. You know, the first time through the order, again, guys can 230. Third time through the order, jumps up to 267. Uh He's got a career ERA of 4.62 in the sixth inning. That's over 117 innings pitched. Uh, he's got a career 4.11 ERA in the seventh inning. That's in only 77 innings. And he's got a sub four ERA in each of innings one through five. Basically, the data suggests that when you're, he said he had 74 pitches in his last at bat. His history suggests that after that, it wasn't going to really get much better. No. So it's kind of like the Giants want to keep guys in a situation where they can perform best. They want to put guys in situations to that, succeed. Agreed. And I think it's almost like you have to protect Alex Wood from himself. Yes. In a sense where it's like we love the energy, but we believe, and this is I'm sure Alex Wood would love hearing this. We believe you're better off. We believe you're better off. You know, coming out at 75-ish pitches because we know that you've done your best work by then. Agreed. And there's always going to be the meathead like me, but it's one more batter. Exactly. He's a pitcher. He's a competitor. He wants to prove that he can be better because, you know, that 462 ERA in the sixth inning, it's the reason it's not 490 is because he got a couple other guys out. So he absolutely believes it. Next thing I want to get into, this is something that, uh, he was at that Gabe Capital was asked about, uh, on that Saturday in terms of just, situational hitting yeah. and I want to play this here and just kind of get your thoughts is I thought it was a very interesting answer on just how he views situational hitting and uh, kind of how he you know would, would would talk about that with the rest of the guys on the team you're the hitter in the batter's box in the turtle and there's a coach behind you and that coach is saying stuff like okay run around second base nobody out and expecting you to take a swing in that coach's mind and probably in the organization's mind it's like your job is to move the runner from second base to third base the message that it sends is you should change something you should do something different to make that happen same thing runner on third base less than two outs you're trying to get him in the message is hit a fly ball try to score the runner my thought is there's an approach that makes you your most athletic that approach is looking for a pitch to drive and trying to drive it through the middle kind of a low line drive trajectory and if I I said that to any player hey try to hit a ball a line drive to the middle of the field pick a good pitch to hit and really try 
that always works. Any situation. Nobody on, nobody out. Runner on second base, less than two outs. Runner on third base, nobody out. Big situation. Bottom of the ninth, second and third. It's always the best way to get the job done, in my opinion. I think in baseball we overcomplicate those things, and what ends up happening is a player becomes less athletic because they're changing the mechanics of their swing to do something, and I don't think it makes you better at doing that thing, and I think it could make you worse at doing that thing. So keeping a very simple approach in those situations, I think, is the best path to success. I hear him, but this is all about practicing. Guys don't practice hitting high choppers anymore. Guys yeah. don't practice two strike approaches in the batting cages like they used to. Like they just don't. They don't. You know, like they don't. If you are going up there with the same approach in a three two pitch as you are two zero, like that's on you. That's on you. And I know you want to keep it simplistic and keep it the same. Does Steph Curry shoot the same way when he's falling down, fading away, and he practices no. those? He absolutely does. Does Kevin Durant shoot his one-footer the same way he shoots a two-foot set shot from the free throw line? No. He is not, no. No. So same thing with Patrick Mahomes when he's rolling out of the pocket, like throwing across his body. I, there's a time and a place And to me, you have to practice those things. Steph Curry doesn't just hit circus shots in games. He practices off-balance types of shots as well as set-balance shots. You have to practice two-strike situations, runner-on-third situations. Tony Gwynn talks about this all the time. So I hear Kapler there. Those would be my pushbacks. Yeah, he did say this was his. I, I didn't include this in the cup, but he did kind of reiterate at follow. He followed up afterwards and said this was his own personal philosophy in yes. terms of how he would handle it uh, while also working with hitters. I do think because, yeah, situational hitting with the Giants, it, there are times with this team where it is frustrating. Yesterday, uh, again, in, this, in the game against the Twins, they had the bases loaded with nobody out. And my heart sank because it seems like every time they have the bases loaded, it just the rally dies. And I asked Kapler about this last year and he kind of just kind of chalked it up. Just, there's, there's kind of some random variance there sometimes where it happens. There's a point last year, Shaz, he went 35 plate appearances last year where the Giants did not get a hit with the bases loaded. Sam, it's just bases it's loaded. Not even it's so frustrating with this team sometimes. And yeah, I do think there is a level of like, you, you got to approach those like, don't go after the big swing anymore. Don't go after the home run. I think you're seeing guys doing that a little bit where they're they're focusing on trying to put the ball in play. But again, yesterday, bases loaded, nobody out. They didn't get the ball out of the infield. Is a left-handed layup the same for a right-handed player as, as no. a right-handed layup? No, it's literally using a different arm. Why? Because the situation dictates it. Yeah. <laughs> like I, Again, I'm using cross-sport analogies. When you're throwing the ball from the, from the deep hole in third, right? You're going to use different kinds of mechanics than a basic chopper as you're going right to left from third to second base on the diamond, right? Like you're going to contort your body and all that. It's the same thing with hitting. Your approach needs to be adjusted. So I don't know. It's very frustrating. I think that when you go into the batting cages, whether you're five years old, 25 years old, 45 years old, 55, 65, whatever, you know how to hit a fly ball and what it takes to do that and how to take a little off and just elevate something. Whereas hitting a chopper requires a a different swing path. Um, These guys are sophisticated enough to figure out. Now the pitching is elite. I get all that. You're not going to be able to execute every single time, but for me, it's maddening to watch the same approach over and Mm -hmm. over and over again and get crummy results. Yeah, it's it's something's going to again, if the Giants want to keep kind of progressing forward, it's something's going to have to change because, yeah, they just this for a team that loads the bases as often as they do. They can't keep coming up empty. Well, they have a lot of high strikeout guys, too. Yeah. And I 
you I are seeing that. as the defense has improved, they've gotten more defensive oriented players on the field. I expect them through their farm system to streamline guys that are more complete hitters than what they have right now. Yeah, and I think you know we I I, I remember talking with JD Davis about this. You can go check out our last uh, podcast episode. Um, and we'll wrap things up here, but yeah, he kind of talked about kind of reducing the power in his swing. So I do think you're seeing a slight shift in, a, in, in, in approach at the plate from some of these hitters. I think over the next couple of weeks, we'll see just kind of how, how big that shift is. So, uh, before we get out of here, we do have the giants taking on the brewers this weekend. I think they got Corbin Burns, uh, again, tonight and on Saturday and maybe again on Sunday, he might be pitching. It seems like they can't get away. He's like the new Clayton Kershaw. They, they always have to see Corbin Burns apparently, but, uh, man, he would look good in the Giants. I'm ready for a brew crew matchup. I love their new uniforms, even though they feel retro, they're new, they're fresh. I love them. I love the, the color in the front of the cap. I'm excited for this. Aren't you? Oh, no. The Giants and Brewers in the last couple of years have put up together some really good games. Remember in 2021, uh, that series in Milwaukee, those were three probably the most fun games of the season were against the Brewers. So these teams always do well. Shaska, I know you got to get out of here. I got to get yeah. out of here, too. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Garlic Fries and Baseball Guys podcast. For Sam Lumman and Joe Shasky, uh, we will see you on the next one.